Let's continue to worship with a reading from Luke 24, verses 44 through 53. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church, team. Good to see you. Uh, family and friends, welcome if you're here for a baptism today. We're so excited um, that you're with us. Uh, we're going to get to that at the end of the service. Uh, I'm excited today to jump into uh, a new series on, drumroll, the Holy Spirit. Some of you just said yay, and some of you just said, oh, man, really? <clears throat> it's okay. We're going to talk about it. Um, today's really just an introduction uh, to help us start thinking, I want to help you think about, uh, ruminate in your mind, clarify in your mind what you think about when the phrase Holy Spirit, when the term Holy Spirit is said. All of us come to that name um, with a loaded Information, right? None of us come to this name with a blank slate, is what I'm trying to say. And so we're going to dig into that today. And all I'm going to try to do is help you think about it, okay? Ask some questions. You're going to walk away with more questions than answers today. Um, but hopefully it'll be a conversation that um, is meaningful for you. So um, I'm going to read the scripture again that we just read, okay? Just so it's in our hearts. And then we'll pray. And then we'll get into it, okay? Um, so it's Acts 1, we just read it, and I'm going to just point out a few things as we go through it one more time. Oh, I'm sorry, no, no, we just read Luke. I'm going to read Acts, sorry, sorry, my bad. I do this for a living, no big deal, you know. Okay, Acts 1. In the, so this is right after what we just read, right? It's the Acts and Luke, Luke and Acts are the same author, written by Luke. So in the first book, it's referring to Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, and this is very almost similar language, right? Promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's concentric circles. Okay, so let's pray. Now they're all on the same page. Jesus, I ask um, you would come and that you'd make your presence, your spirit known to our hearts today, God. Um, I pray today that you would soften our hearts uh, when it comes to thinking about the Holy Spirit and what he's supposed to do in our, our lives. God, I pray that you would disarm us now and you'd give us the peace of mind uh, to sit with your scriptures, God, in a way that forms us, that gets into our blood and begins to um, transform us into a kind of person that is more reflective of, of your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So, out of the gate, you probably have one or two responses to talking about the Holy Spirit, okay? And it depends on if you grew up in church and then what kind of church you grew up in. So either you're thinking, <laughs> either when I said we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit, you're, you were thinking, finally, man, about time the ghost got up in here. This church needs some life, you know? <laughs> or you were thinking, oh, Chris, please, I want to like this church. You know, like, do we have to talk about that? And the answer is yes, we do. Um, and it's not because we're a vineyard, though, if you know anything about vineyard, they have very charismatic uh, roots and signs and wonders and all sorts. And it's not because we want to let loose a sensationalist, overdramatic, overly emotional, frothy, you know, experiential thing. It's not because of those reasons. It's because of the book. It's because of the book. John Wimber, who founded the vineyard, uh, points out the churches tend, oh, I'll get there, guys, don't worry, I'm, I'll get there, tend to lean towards one or the other. You can either be a Holy Spirit people, right, believe that God heals and speaks and does all that crazy awesome stuff, or you can be a Bible people, people of the book, and we're serious around here, and we're stern, and we read the book, you know, and we rigorously study the Bible and what it actually says, and the Holy Spirit, well, we don't really talk about him around here. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Bible around here. We don't believe in ghosts, you know? We don't believe in ghosts, holy or otherwise, you know? And Wimber um, talked about a radical middle in which he said, yeah, man, we are intelligent, rational people who put forth rigorous academic study of the Bible. And that's exactly why we are also people who believe in the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. All right, because if you can honestly read the New Testament, and I'm not saying all y'all do. Look, I know we're in church, but let's be real, all right? You haven't picked that book in a long time. But if you can honestly read the New Testament and deny the clear necessity and presence of the Holy Spirit on almost every page, you got a special pair of glasses on, bro. You are choosing to ignore something. You are choosing to filter it for whatever reason. You're choosing to ignore a particular reality of what is biblical Christianity. Y'all, it's impossible to honestly read the New Testament without realizing the active, working, speaking, guiding, leading, filling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, whatever that is. <laughs> It's talked about in a way the Spirit, He, 
is talked about in a way as if it's impossible to be a Christian without him. So we have to talk about it, guys. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> the biblical authors refuse to shut up about this thing, Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit. They saw his role, fundamental, man, fundamental, like foundational. And really, that Christianity does not and cannot exist apart from him, y'all. Like it's not even an option, man. All right? It, it can't exist. So we have to talk about it. We are also talking about this because I have, I, you probably don't have this, but not as angsty as I am. I have this lingering, under-the-surface discomfort that in a society such as ours, it is possible to create a version of Christianity that is simply a projection of our own desires and wants. In other words, people are fine with a spirituality that says, well, you can believe that. That's fine for you. And you can believe what you want to believe. If it fulfills you, if it makes you feel a certain way, you find meaning and some personal significance, right? That's fine. You can believe in Jesus. That's cool. You can be, just don't push it on me, right? And you see, what that creates is a spirituality that is only valuable and has merit on how it makes you feel. You understand? You hear this, right? Believe whatever you want. Have whatever spirituality you want, as long as it makes you feel however it is that you want to feel. Go ahead, believe in that, right? And now we're gauging something on how it makes, it, how it makes us feel instead of whether or not it's actually true. That's, that's modern spirituality, guys. doesn't matter if it's true, <laughs> right? It just matters how it makes you feel, right? Every day. It's the, it's the air we breathe, y'all. Air we breathe, all right? But what you have to see is the Bible is not a book full of exaggerated stories to make you feel good. Amen. Oh, that's just, that was solid right there. I mean, oh, oh that was, oh, right? <laughs> we think that, don't we? You read the Bible, and it's these exaggerated stories. Did this really happen? Well, no, who can know? It didn't really happen. But, you know, it's supposed to make you feel good. And so you read it, and we try to read it. And when, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing when you read the Bible? What are you, what's your goal? Isn't it? Well, I just want to, you know, I need to pick me up, right? Like taking a shot of espresso for your soul, you know? That's like what the Bible is. Makes you feel good. You read it in the morning. You get inspired. Can I just tell you, that is not my experience when I read the Bible. I, I don't know if you're reading it with your brain on or not, but it is a very confrontational book, y'all. And if you are solely reading it for devotional inspiration, you're missing the historical essence of the book. It's not a book full of exaggerated stories to make us feel good. It is a historical. I do not believe in the Bible because it makes me feel good. I believe in the Bible because I believe it's historically true. There's a difference. And if you're reading, if you're reading it just to make you feel good, you got another pair of glasses on. All right? Because you read the book and there's a lot of it in there that does not make me feel good. Amen. It confronts me on multiple levels. It makes me feel really uncomfortable sometimes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you read those parts of the Bible that you just don't know what to do with? It is a complex and nuanced and sophisticated book, and I would encourage you to pick it up because it's worth it. I listen and submit to the Bible because I believe it's historically true. I believe it actually happened, guys, not because it makes me feel good. But what you see, when you create, when you create, and this is every week, guys, sorry, the guest, this is every week, we just go real heavy, so I'm sorry, you know, it'll... We'll breathe after a while. When you create 
a self-ordained version of Christianity to meet your emotional needs, what you have to admit is you've created a false Christianity. Dude, that's a figment of your imagination. And you've created it to fulfill your own desires and your own purposes in your life, right? That's not the God of the Bible. That's a God of your own design for your own purposes and your own agenda. And people do it right and left, right? And my suspicion is that Christianity is particularly prone to this. And of course, history shows us that there are plenty of people who like some elements of Christianity, but not others, and so they create their own thing. They're called cults, okay? There's an overwhelming amount of offshoots and perversions and distortions of Christianity. Did you, have y'all history books? You guys watch ever documentaries about stuff? You know, if anyone, if anyone watched, anyone like to watch documentaries about cults? Dude, I, I get sucked in so bad. If you pay attention, you might realize most of the modern cults that are alive today are, per, are offshoots of Christianity. They started as some sort of Christian thing that split off. They laid some claim to Christian text, but then distorted it and hijacked it for their own agenda, right? And just a simple search will show you how many of the past cults of the 100 years were started by Christians and went sideways, right? I, I watched a video of David Koresh preaching from the book of Isaiah, right? Jim, jo Jim Jones' cult started as a Pentecostal church. This is my point, y'all. This is my point. It's really easy to take bits of Christianity and then create your own thing. It's very easy. And then you have to admit it's not Christianity anymore. It's something else, right? And I fear many Christians have done this when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You've removed him. You've taken him out. And you've said, I think I can do this on my own steam. I think, you know, I'm pretty fit. I go to the gym. I eat healthy. I think I can do Christianity too. You know? And you've effectively removed the presence and power of the Holy Spirit from your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And what I'm trying to tell you is if you have a version of Christianity that does not, at its foundation, include the living, active, experience and presence and power of the Holy Spirit, you have something else in Christianity. You're not reading the book. And if you are reading it, you're reading it with a pair of blinders that you yourself have put on, right? And when we do that, we cease to read the Bible with any kind of intellectual integrity. So we're talking about this because, number one, I want to be a person of the book. I just do. That's just, I want to be a person of the book, man. I want to be a people of the book, all right? And if we're going to be a people of the book, it means we've got to be a people that walk what the book says by the Spirit. That's what the book's going to say, you know? But secondly, <laughs> let's just chat, there's a whole lot of bad press out there when it comes to what it means to be a people full of the Spirit of God, all right? So let's chat. Chances are, even if you didn't grow up in church, you will come to the conversation of the Holy Spirit with some idea of what He is supposed to do in your mind. So maybe you saw a movie, right? Or a tent revival maybe thing, or you saw a documentary. They got documentaries about this too, right? Maybe you had a friend who said they got baptized in the spirit and then got real weird, okay? So even if you didn't grow up in church, 
It's really rare to find someone who comes to this conversation with a blank slate. Then, if you did grow up in church, your idea of the Holy Spirit, let's just be real, has been drastically impacted by the church you rolled with. All right? So maybe you went to the church, a church, where the Holy Spirit was ignored at best and maligned at worst. Many churches treat the Holy Spirit like that embarrassing family member. Yeah, that's Uncle Dove. He comes to the family reunions, but man, he's a weirdo. And your family is just really embarrassed by him, you know? And when friends come over, you try to keep him in the back, you know? And, you know, family reunions, it's probably best to avoid Uncle Dove, you know? Because, oh, here he comes, look busy. Let's just, act like we're talking, <laughs> you know? Right? So there's one. There's one. Dude, that's a legit approach to the Holy Spirit that you might have experienced in churches. He is an uncomfortable topic that we don't really know what to do with, right? Or maybe you grew up in a church that, man, they love the Holy Spirit. Love, right? They had banners and, you know, everyone brought tambourines and, you know. And God told me, the sentence God told me, you ever heard that one? Anyone ever pulled the God told me card on you? It's a little unsettling. I had a girl tell me God told her that we were supposed to get married, and we did not. So I don't know. So I don't know if God changed his mind or if she heard wrong, but some people, some churches, that's, that's where I grew up. I grew up in that arena, okay, where, like, God told me stuff all the time. Like, people, everyone had the red phone to heaven, right? Um, there are plenty of churches, guys, there are plenty of Christians who play loose and fast with the Holy Spirit and what he's supposed to do. And in those arenas, what you begin to pick up on is these people really seem to think of the Holy Spirit more like a, more like kind of the force, you know? <laughs> I, got, I got one of my elders right there. Uh, you know, like Luke, Luke uses the force, right? And, and, and what you begin to pick up on is like, dude, like, I guess this is like some sort of thing that if you have the right experiences or if you maybe do the right stuff or have the right thing, then you can like do stuff, you know? And it ends up being, they end up having this really wacky and kind of doing really foolish things that really look more like attaining some kind of personal spiritual power for their own name, more so than for the name of Jesus, right? So maybe the first thing to point out right here at this point is, man, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a him. Pronouns are important these days. Right? It's a, it's a him. Sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I, I had that in my notes, and then I took it out, and then I said it. Um, it's a, it, it is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force like Star Wars. We don't use the Holy Spirit like Luke uses the force. He is the third person of the Trinity, sometimes just referred to as the Spirit of Christ himself. But the most common way... People develop opinions about the Holy Spirit and what he does is really most of the time just based on what other people have told them, right, right? So, so some church revival makes the news, okay? You watch that. Or, or, or some Christian, some friend tells you about some supernatural claim, right, of like healing or something or whatever. And man, when you hear that stuff, it just appears to you as like, man, backwoods, superstitious religious fanaticism, you know? And sheesh, you don't want to be lumped in with those guys, right? 
So you find yourself saying things like this. Well, yes, I'm a Christian, but not like those wackos, right? Like, okay, you know, first thing I want to, you're a Christian? Yeah, 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 but not like those guys, right? Like, I'm a, I'm a normal Christian, right? I'm a normal. Dude, I hear you. Like, I, I love the idea of thinking I'm cool, right? Who doesn't like the idea of thinking you're cool? I love the idea of thinking I'm a cool Christian. Who doesn't even love the idea of thinking I go to a cool Christian church, right? Like, whoa, double coolness, you know? Like, who? I love that. Like, I love, I, I want to be the kind of person, like, dude, I can relate to normal people. Like, I'm there, right? My faith's reasonable. I'm rooted in history. Yes and amen. Dude, I'm all the way there. I'm just not sure there's such a thing as a normal Christian. Amen. We chatting? I don't think they exist. There's just not such a thing as a normal Christian, man. So often, while all these ideas are being formed and swirling around in our head, and we're trying to figure out what's this supposed to be about, and am I supposed, do I have to do that kind of stuff to be a Christian or whatever like that? Often, y'all, listen, I'm going to just be real with you. We're working out this stuff in the books on the shelf. The book's just sitting on the shelf. And we're trying, to make, we're trying to make sense of stuff, and we're just, well, he said this, and, and she said that. We have to realize that we often ignore God's chosen means of revealing himself to us, and we often prefer to figure things out on our own, don't we? And it's more than likely because it gives us a sense of control. So the whole idea here is, man, like, I know this is crazy. I know this is crazy. I know we like to be in control. I know we like to figure things out on our own. The whole idea is, that why don't we just let the book tell us? what the role and function of the Holy Spirit is. Can we get on board? Are you sure? Okay, okay. (laughs) Okay, what we read is right before the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost, right? And at Pentecost, if you've read this, right, Peter realizes what's happening and tells everyone, hey, y'all, this is a fulfillment of Scripture. Quotes Joel, God's going to pour out a spirit on sons and daughters, right? So Pentecost is this really big moment for the church. In fact, most people understand Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out as the birth of the church. Are you familiar with this language? All I want to point out to you very quickly, we're not going to go long today, is What Jesus said about this thing, Holy Spirit, this person, this presence, all right, what he said about it from the very beginning before it even happened, right? He said this, listen, don't do anything. (laughs) Don't preach any sermons. Don't start any ministries. Don't pray for anyone. (laughs) Don't do anything. Just stay put. Until you are clothed with power. That's what Jesus said. Don't do anything. This is massive, y'all. This is massive. Jesus' first instruction to his church is not go feed the poor. His first instruction to his church is not now go tell everyone you know. It's not here. His first instruction to his church is to wait. The first of command of Christ to his church is not to action, but to inaction. He says, wait, don't do anything. Because there is something that you need. I have to give it to you. And if you don't have this thing, you won't have the power or ability to actually do the things I'm calling you to do. Okay, Jesus, wait for what? Well, it's God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the active living presence of God 
among us. That's what Jesus said, wait for. And Jesus connects this presence of the Holy Spirit, what he called it, to what? Power. Power. Ability. Power, y'all. Like drive, courage, tenacity, ability to get up and do something with your life. And he said, if you don't have this, you're not going to have, the word there, power, is dunamis. It's Greek for, guess where we get from the word dunamis? Dynamite, dynamite. That's what Acts 1 tells us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Power for what? Well, Jesus tells us, to be my witnesses. To all, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth, right? So Jesus, in this amazingly succinct sentence, gives the mission and the means of how that mission is to be accomplished for the church, right? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the end of the earth, right? The mission of every Christian, y'all, is first and foremost to be a witness, a witness to the powers of, and the beauties of Jesus. That's what Jesus laid out for us. This is your mission as a Christian, to be a witness. That's what God wants for you as a Christian. Well, what does that even mean? <laughs> What's it mean to witness something? Well, witnessing, let's think about the word like just for a second. Okay, then we'll wrap it up. Witness works on two levels, doesn't it? Uh, you can witness a crime, right? You saw it, right? It, you gave your attention to it. You, you witnessed something as it went down. That's the first way. It's just seeing something. That's what it means to be a, well, did you witness it? I did. I saw it. He, he slapped him right in the face. You know, I saw it, right? It was horrible, okay? That's one thing, all right? But then you can be a witness in a court of law, can't you? Well, what's that mean? Well, that means you're telling someone else about what you saw. You call a witness. They say, that's correct. I saw this. I verify that this happened. And now I'm communicating to you guys that, yeah, he slapped him. It was a good slap. Left a mark on his face, right? Okay. Well, this is the mission of the church, not to testify about someone getting slapped, right? But to see something and then to tell someone else. Now, we get our mission from this local church. It's delighting and declaring in the beauties of Jesus. Delighting is seeing for ourselves. Declaring is telling someone else. This is what we saw, right? This is where our joy is coming from, right? What's all that mean? Well, no matter what your gifting is, no matter what your talents or contributions to the church may be, if you are not employing those things to point others towards Jesus, if it's not helping you see Jesus, helping others see what he's done, well, your motivation is off. And you might be building something other than biblical Christianity. So the crazy thing about all this witnessing business is apparently it's impossible for us. This is big. This is what we're getting. It's impossible for you to see or appropriately tell others what you have seen when it comes to God without the living presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to see the beauties of Jesus. And you're not going to be able to effectively tell others about what you've seen. This is what Jesus is saying. Wait. Don't do anything. All right? Here's, here's, here's the mission. And oh, by the way, the only way you'll be, you'll be able to actually do that is when you're filled with the Spirit of God himself. And then we have this like really super helpful litmus test for any claim of Holy Spirit activity, don't we? Does it bring glory exalt, lift up, and bear witness to the authority and beauty of Jesus. And if it doesn't, 
Well, that might be a spirit, but maybe not the Holy Spirit, right? If it doesn't eventually have the effect of stirring your affections for Jesus, if it doesn't end with filling you with gratitude and thankfulness and point you to the work of Christ, Houston, we have a problem. That may be another spirit, right? That's why my Chandler, a pastor I listen to, says he gets nervous around people who always want to talk about the Holy Spirit because Scripture says actually the Holy Spirit's always talking about Jesus, right? It bears witness to him. The Holy Spirit's all about glorifying Jesus. So at the very birth of the church, very birth of the church, right, we see the Holy Spirit as the number one necessity for the church to actually be the church, right? And it helps us see what the Holy Spirit does and what he intends to do. And you're starting to get a bit of a picture, aren't you? So uh, we'll end with this picture, and then we'll, we'll start dunking people, all right? Um, the church in the Bible, there's lots of names for the church in the Bible. Uh, one of the names for the church in the Bible is uh, the body of Christ. You familiar with that? You know that one, right? And then he says, hey, listen, if that body is going to get up and walk around, and do things, it's got to have a power source in it. What's that? What's the power source in, in what's the Holy Spirit? What, what makes your body alive, right? What makes your body move? What, what animates your body? Most people have an understanding of being alive, uh, uh, not just biologically, but there's something else in us that makes us alive. And a lot of people call it soul, right? Your soul, your spirit, right? Uh, your, your strength, your courage, like you can have, you can be alive and not really be alive. Anyone ever been there? I don't know. I, I've been there, right? No, there's an animating factor to your body. Here we're getting the donkeys coming in here. Um, that's your spirit, right? So in Joshua 2, um, it describes people who have lost their courage as lo- have, having no spirit, losing their spirit, right? Ruach, right? Biologically, you can be alive, but your body may be dead because of that. So your body has no ability apart from that. Your body's there without spirit. And most people would say, okay, well, the church is called the body of Christ. So do you guys see the parallel here? Just like your body is dead without the spirit, so too the church is dead without the animating, empowering presence of God's Holy Spirit acting and moving within her, right? Because his spirit is the animating power of the church, right? His spirit is what motivates, guides, leads. And without that source, we are uh, up the creek without a paddle, so to speak, Right? We're kind of a shell of a thing. And so we are about to baptize uh, with water. Uh, but what we're told in Scripture is that Jesus intends to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. You heard that language, right? So we, we shouldn't um, miss out on, on the picture here. These people are about to be soaking, sopping wet, right? They're about to get in there. And when they come out, uh, they're going to, if they didn't dry off, they would be leaving puddles of water everywhere they went, right? Um, So too is the Holy Spirit supposed to saturate us in such a way that where we go, we become extensions of what? Him, himself. Not us, but him, right? So if you are getting baptized, um, come on up, and they're going to come up on the stage, and we're going to move into this portion of our service real quick. Come on, don't be, don't be scared.